In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. And today, I'm joined by two special guests. First is Arrow Hart, the AJC's stellar healthcare reporter who's been very, very busy, as we all have been the last couple of weeks. Ariel, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. And the second is Professor Ben Lopeman, an Emory University epidemiologist. We're very, very uh, lucky to have him today because I know he's very, very busy. Professor, thank you for, for joining us. Thanks. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, Professor, let's start with you. And Ariel's going to jump in to ask you some questions, too. But I just want to kind of trace back to when you first heard about coronavirus and realized that it could be a game changer, that it could have this tor- sort of impact it's having on our daily lives here in Georgia. Sure. So we, we first heard about this, this novel coronavirus uh, at the end of last year. 2019. And, you know, it started, um, came to international attention as a kind of cluster of pneumonia cases in Wuhan, this city in central China. And, you know, we have these emerging infections from time to time. Um, But what started to become clear and what was concerning about this virus is, first of all, that it was fairly transmissible from person to person. Uh, so that meant it could spread in the in the human population, and also that it was severe. So those two things combined, that it could cause severe illness, those two things combined um, made me concerned. And once something is transmissible easily from person to person, there's really nothing to stop it from uh, from crossing crossing borders, state lines, international borders. And so that's when we became concerned this would spread globally, including to the U.S. and to Georgia. Was there a moment? Was there a, a like a holy crap moment where where you realized that this that that we'd be going on the path that we're now down? Yeah, you know, we we saw this outbreak really take hold in Wuhan, uh, in China, and that um, how rapidly it spread was concerning. Uh, but I think the 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 aha moment was when we saw. The outbreak in in Italy, in the Lombardy region, in in northern Italy, uh, you know, we saw how rapidly the infection spread, and we saw the extreme pressure uh, on the healthcare system in that part of the world, which has one of the best healthcare systems. And if 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 a place like that was suffering from this outbreak, it really meant that it could affect affect any anywhere in the world. Professor, when did you first start thinking that Georgia needs to be paying attention to this? 
Yeah, I became concerned um, that that Georgia could be affected, that really anywhere could be affected as soon as we knew that this virus was was transmissible. We have this measure in infectious disease epidemiology, the basic reproductive number. Um, basically, once it, it once uh, something is, um, I'll start over on that point. But uh, if this measure is uh, measures how infectious a a, uh, a pathogen is, and if it's greater than one, is that the R not? It's the Greg R. Does the R not? <laughs> yeah, I think half the population is now quickly exactly. learning about the R not. Right. So we have this measure called R not, the basic reproductive number, and if it's greater than one, it means that a, a pathogen will spread in a population, and we think we think that the R not for uh, for this. SARS coronavirus, this novel coronavirus, is on the order of, of two or three. And that means it can really spread quite successfully um, in the human population. And so as soon as we knew that, I was concerned that this was going to spread out of China and spread globally. And can you explain the r not? So a two or three, am I right that that's one person would infect two or three people in the normal course of their lives. What well, that doesn't sound like a big number. Is that a big number? You know, it, it is quite a big number because if you think what we have to think about when we think of uh, how infectious disease spread is uh, is that we can have exponential growth. So what does that mean? It means that let's say I infect two people, um, and this happens in a pretty short, uh, pretty short time course, right? This infection spreads pretty rapidly. So let's say that within a week or so, I infect two people. Those two people go on to infect two people. So we have four cases. Those go on to infect eight cases, so on and so forth. And we have this really rapid, rapid growth. So it may not seem like a tremendous number. Uh, it may not seem like a tremendous number that I can infect two people. But once that number is greater than one, it means we have a growing epidemic. And so what we're trying to do with all of these public health measures, like social distancing, um, is to reduce that number to be less than one. And what happens when it's less than one? So if we get the number to be less than one, it means we have a declining outbreak, right? We have a, a declining number of infections. And if, it's, if we can sustain it to be less than one, it means we can get the epidemic under control. And once we get to that place, that's that once we get to that place, we're in a different position of what kind of um, what kind of control measures we can put in place uh, to keep to keep the um, transmission rate low. That's what we've seen happen in in China, in Wuhan, where they had these very extreme lockdown. They did manage to control the spread. They did get that uh, are not the reproductive number to be less than one. Uh, and in doing that, they're then able to identify each kind of individual case as they occur, identify the case through testing, um, isolate the person who's been sick, quarantine their potential contacts. And so once you kind of get the epidemic under control, you can really have much more focused uh, focus prevention activities like that to stop the spread. And so the kind of things that we're doing right now in Georgia, do we have any way of knowing what that makes that number? Are, are we above one, below one? Can we know? So we don't know yet. Um, and the reason that we don't know is just because of how the nature of how infections 
spread. What, um, what we're seeing now in terms of uh, cases that are being hospitalized or even people who are dying, those are the result of infections that occurred weeks ago. In the case of death, maybe up to a month ago. The average time from, from when a person is exposed to the virus to when they get sick and eventually die, if, if that's what happens, is about a month. It's a month-long interval. So that means that whatever we're seeing now is a result of a transmission that occurred a month ago. So we're going to need a little time still to know how well the social distancing that we put in place is working. I want to pause on that comment that you just made. So back in February, I don't, I remember coronavirus being on the news. I don't remember it being a big issue like in my social circle. And yet you're saying that the people who have just died, the, the number that we see in Georgia ramping up now more than 100 and perhaps much worse, that die was cast back in February. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the deaths that we're seeing now are, are really the result of infections that occurred um, weeks or up to a month ago. Um, and that's why it's going to take time uh, for these, these control measures we put in place, like social distancing, closing schools, not, not gathering in groups. All those things take time to, to see the effect of because of these delays from when infection occurs to when people are hospitalized or when, or when they die. So for people who aren't experts on this, um, can you, as you know, who's a little bit more uh, understanding, kind of paint the picture of what kind of die do you think is being cast right now for a month from now? What picture do you see being put together right now for, you know, the crystal ball? Yeah, you know, it's, of course, it's, it's very difficult to, to forecast exactly the, the trajectory of this epidemic from here. But I think what we, what we, what we have seen is that these social distancing measures, um, they can be effective. And the more extreme they are, the most extreme being kind of shelter-in-place orders or lockdowns are the most effective, right? And so I think about two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago in Georgia, we started to take this more seriously. Um, many schools uh, were canceled. People started teleworking. Um, so I think those things are likely to have an effect. The question for us here is, you know, how, how big will the effect be? And that's all down to how many, how universal were these, uh, were these social distancing measures taken up? Were they piecemeal? Did everyone, uh, did everyone reduce their contacts? And was it the same across, across the state? I think we haven't had as, as joined up as an approach as, as we would maybe have liked in, in Georgia. Some counties have been more aggressive than others. Some mayors have been more aggressive than others. We've seen different um, recommendations, kind of at different levels of government. And that's meant that, uh, you know, we're going to see the effects probably differently across, across the state. 
Let me ask you a follow-up on that because we have we do have a hodgepodge, a, a patchwork of restrictions. Some counties and cities, um, you know, ordering curfews and manda- mandatory shelter places, and others with more limited restrictions. Uh, the virus doesn't care, right? The virus doesn't doesn't heed any boundaries or 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 or, or, or state lines. Um, th- does that does that worry you that that there is no um, universal um, restriction around the state of Georgia? It, it does worry me, and it worries me on sort of two levels. One is that I think when people hear these different messages coming from, you know, their more local officials, their mayors, for example, different messages coming from the governor and different messages still coming from the federal level from, from the White House, is that people don't know exactly what to do when they hear these mixed messages. Or should they not go out at all? Should they limit their contact? Should they not go not have large, you know, convene in large groups? So I think for one, people don't know exactly how they should respond, how they should behave. The other issue is, like you say, um, it's sort of oldest cliche in in epidemiology that viruses know no borders, but it's really true. And so, you know, if if one county has a kind of shelter in place order and the neighboring county doesn't, well. You know, even those pe- people who, for example, are working in healthcare in neighboring counties, they have to go out. They're essential servants. They have to interact. They have to go uh, to to a hospital. They have to go shopping to to feed themselves and their families. And so, you know, th- they are not just subject to what's going on in their county or in their city. They're subject to what's to the behavior and the infection rates in the in the cities and counties around them. So it has an effect also on the epidemiology. Is the message, do you worry the message is not getting through to public officials? Do you, do you worry that they're not taking this serious enough? Or are you, are you confident that, that, that the warnings are taking root? They just might be taking root a little slower. Uh, you know, I think we've really, we've seen increasingly aggressive action. Um, but I think we can't be too aggressive at this point. You know, the, with with infectious diseases, with an outbreak like this, the entire population is essentially susceptible, right? That means that this this epidemic would just will just grow for for weeks or months if it's if it's not controlled. And the earlier we act, the bigger effect we'll have, right? If the epidemic is relatively small and we act aggressively. Um, it will have a much bigger effect in the long run than if we wait until there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of cases um, when there's already people in the community who can transmit. So the, you know, the more, the earlier you, earlier on you act in an infectious disease uh, outbreak, the better. It's a little bit like the uh, old saying about planting a tree. The best time is 20 years ago. And the second best time is today. It's cold for, for infectious disease uh, epidemiology as well. Um, the earlier you act, the better. Professor, this really brings to mind some of the folks that I've interviewed. Um, either they themselves uh, or people they know have said, um, you know, I'm really not too worried. We don't have it too bad right here right now. Or I think we've just got a case or two. What, 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 what does that mean? What would you say to them? Yeah, well, I would say as soon as you see a case, it means you've probably got transmission in your community. And because of how fast this thing can, this outbreak can grow, 
um, we all have to be concerned. Um, and do they even really know? I mean, what they're saying, I think, is we've had the state DPH confirm a case here. So does that, if you've only got one confirmed case, does that mean that there is one COVID case in that county or might it mean something else? So testing has really been a problem in this outbreak. And it's, that's been true in, in Georgia. Um, it, it's been especially true in, in Georgia. Uh, we're probably, you know, we, certainly early on in the outbreak, we were severely um, under-diagnosing cases because the tests just weren't available. They're increasingly available. Um, but still, they're being primarily used for uh, severe cases or for healthcare workers, people kind of on the front line providing care to people. So what that means is for every case that we recognize, there's probably a number of them, probably a number of cases in the community. Uh, you know, even in, um, in China, where they had the first and largest outbreak and, and quite quickly scaled up testing, and we're testing not just severe cases, but also kind of more mild ones, cases that wouldn't even maybe recognized as a, as a COVID episode. Um, probably even, even there, there are lots of undocumented cases. And that's not to say they're fully asymptomatic, but they might be mild. They might just feel like, you know, a cold or um, a little a minor respiratory infection. Um, but if we're only testing... The severe cases, which seems to, which has been the case in in Georgia, there's probably a lot more in the community that we're not recognizing. And does that matter if people are asymptomatic? It does matter, and so you know we don't. There's a lot we have to learn about this outbreak. You know this this virus uh, basically didn't exist in the human population until about four months ago. So we're still learning a lot. Uh, one of the questions is, you know, who gets sick from this disease, from this infection? Who has the most severe disease? And that's pretty clear. It's uh, older people. Um, they have much higher mortality rates and more severe disease. Um, people with underlying health conditions uh, like diabetes, for example, or, or heart conditions. But that doesn't necessarily tell us who is getting infected and who is transmitting. So younger people seem to be getting infected at similar rates as older people, and they can transmit as well. Now, those people might or might not be uh, asymptomatic. And when we say asymptomatic, we mean that someone has the virus in them. Um, they had an infection, but they don't have any symptoms. So they might be fully asymptomatic, or they might just have some mild symptoms. Um, and if they don't know that they're infected with this coronavirus, they might be more likely to transmit because they don't, uh, they don't stay home. They don't isolate themselves because they don't know that they're infected. Um, and I, I, I don't know if uh, Greg wants to uh, chime in, but I've got some um, questions about where we're headed with this. And, uh, of course, nobody's got a crystal ball, but we do, think, we do have things called computer models. Uh, am I right? And uh, if could you talk a little bit about what you do for a living and what that may say for what's headed for Georgia? Yeah, so I'm I'm an infectious disease epidemiologist, and so basically what 
what that means is we study how diseases spread in a population and uh, try to learn about them and so that we can better control them. Uh, one of the tools that we use are mathematical or computer models to understand disease spread. Um, and those have been really important in understanding outbreaks that came before this. And they've been very influential for us understanding uh, for this outbreak, uh, this outbreak of, of the SARS coronavirus as well. And what are they tell? Yeah, what are they telling us about what's coming our way? So, there's a couple of things that that these these models can tell us. I mean, one, they can tell us uh, what would happen if we didn't do anything, if we took no action uh, to uh, to control to control this outbreak. And so, some there was a report from Imperial College, uh, which was a group that uh, that I worked with about ten years ago. Um, and that report was very influential and it garnered a lot of attention because they, they estimated that we could have up to 2.2 million deaths in this country if, wow. um, if the outbreak was unmitigated, if we didn't do anything to control it. Now, clearly we are doing things to control this outbreak and, uh, those, those kind of worst, worst, um, forecasts will hopefully be avoided. But the models are still helpful in helping us to understand where we might be going, given these, all these changes we've made and all the social distancing that we've put in place. Um, the current models are suggesting that we'll have a, uh, a peak in Georgia probably sometime in, in late April. Um, and I think that that's probably reasonable. That's probably our, our uh, kind of best bet right now. But there is a lot of uncertainty. What, what we do know is how transmissible this virus is. We have pretty good understanding of how severe it is and who, um, is, who is most likely to have to be hospitalized or wh which age groups the deaths are occurring. What we still don't know that well is how effective our control measures are, how effective all this social distancing is is going to be. And so I think that's where a lot of the uncertainty lies. Professor, for those of us who aren't medical professionals, who aren't on the front lines, who aren't first responders, what's the, what's the most important thing we can do now? The most important thing we can do now is to stay home. Right? We really need to stop the transmission of this virus. And that's, that's the best thing, the most important thing that um, people who aren't working on the front lines can do. God, I, have, I have two concluding questions. The first is going to be um, not so uplifting. The second one, a little bit more uplifting. So I'll go with the first one first. What, what keeps you up at night? What, what do you most worry about in the middle of this pandemic? Yeah, I'm, I'm most concerned with how, the, how this outbreak is playing out. I think it's exposing a lot about um, the, it's exposing a lot about how we weren't prepared for an outbreak of a virus like this and on this, this magnitude. Um, I'm worried about also how we kind of get out of this situation after we get transmission under control. Well, that's my second question is what, what's your hope when we do get on the other side of this? What lasting changes, what lasting beneficial changes do, do you hope this will they'll have for our society? So public health has been 
has been underfunded for for some time. And the the fact that a, a new virus would emerge and cause a pandemic, we didn't know we didn't know the details of it, but it's not a huge surprise to uh, to those of us working in infectious diseases and in, in public health. What I hope is that this results in us strengthening our public health systems. I also hope that it means that we think a lot more carefully about where these emerging infections come from um, and that we do a better job at, at stopping them, stopping emerging infections in the first place and then doing a better job at controlling outbreaks when they do occur. Well said. Well, Professor, we really, really appreciate your time. Thank you for all you're working on, all you're doing, and, and you're, you're on the front line. So thank you for, for spending time with us and helping us today understand what you're going through. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's all for this edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Visit AJC.com slash politics for all the latest in Georgia news. I'm Greg Bluestein signing off. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.